interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Private Equity Podcast. Joining us today is Jimmy Viopoulos, Chief Financial Officer of Stack Capital. Welcome, and thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today, Jimmy. Thank you, Alex, and thanks for having me on. So, standard question for us, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of, uh, of you, please. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so... Yeah, I initially studied engineering and uh, crazy enough decided to get my my CA or CPA, uh, as it's called here, uh, KPMG. Worked at both audit and then advisory where I did M&A, due diligence, project finance. Worked in Vancouver, also got a chance to work in Chile. And uh, after that, uh, started out as a C- CFO of a renewable energy company based out of New York. And that was a great opportunity where I got to do acquisitions that Grew our uh, company by two and, uh, and and scaled it quite big, also internationally. Uh, then after that, I worked at a one of the first Bitcoin mining companies. Uh, I was a CFO there. Was an early public company in that space in early 2018. I remember people saying, "You know, what are you doing leaving?" You know, a job that people understand to do Bitcoin mining, uh, and that was just after the hype had uh, popped, and and so uh, that was an incredible opportunity, and I got to see that thing from lows of you know fifty million dollar valuation to about three billion dollars. So it was a really incredible journey there, and got to take that to Nasdaq as well, and then uh, and then I just had. A recent move to where I'm at now, which is Stack Capital. So I was a co-founder here, uh, and I'm currently the CFO. And 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 really, uh, it's an innovative uh, product in in a pretty established space, which, which is private equity. And what we're doing here is we change the structure around in that we're a public company, and this has many benefits in uh, compared to the typical structure, where broader access you can have. This is one of the very few products where you have credit investors and uh, non-accredited investors, uh, more liquidity, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this, and uh, and a lot more flexibility. So uh, so really excited to be in the private space. You know, I've done private investments, I've built up companies, and I think it's a, it's a great company with, with uh, big potential. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, keen to get into your uh, your innovative model. Um, absolutely. So, what's one of the mistakes that you see either private equity firms or their portfolio companies making, and what actions would you take to uh, correct them? Yeah, you know, there's there's always a lot to to point to. You know, the biggest thing right now that you're seeing in the market is a lot of piling into specific investments and in, in valuations getting to pretty frothy levels. And so, so you see this even right now for for companies pre-revenue, you know, you know they don't have their product proven out, and and some of them are reaching uh, pretty astronomical and, and at times unicorn level valuations. And so, you know, the way we're seeing that is we really are looking for companies, you know, later stage in 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 the venture capital world. And so we we want those companies that have product market fit, you know, have revenues. We're seeing the growth in many cases, uh, profitable companies, 
And so, so you're protected on the downside if kind of the floor falls under and, you know, they have a lot to stand on themselves. Interesting. So as you mentioned, Stacks, you know, finally uh, built a uh, platform that allows, you know, standard retail, non-accredited investors uh, to participate in your venture private equity type uh, uh, funds. What was it that inspired you guys to, to to set up on this model as opposed to what I got as the traditional uh, model of uh, raising from high net worth institutional investors, et cetera? Yeah, we really saw a gap in the market. So there's we saw a lot of folks that wanted to invest in the space, especially given that uh, a lot of these private companies, these fast growing ones are staying private longer. And so getting access to these types of companies was getting increasingly difficult and and just even the structure that you have to invest in this you know lots of times you have to invest in either a fund that gives you a you know you need a 10-year lockup which is very difficult for many folks or you're investing in a company where you get almost no information and that you know we're seeing some of those and you know you know getting bad prices very hefty fees uh and it's just a pass-through so and, and no information right like how, how do you how do you make that kind of decision and so we want to bridge that gap and create stack capital as a way for both accredited investors, but also uh, to invest because, you know, lots of them don't have access or, you know, these are very exclusive deals, but also this is one of the only ways that non-accredited investors can get involved. And we take away any of the needs for lockups, you know, we're a publicly traded company, so you can get in and out as you wish. And it also makes it very simple from a tax perspective, right? So, so lots of times there's all these tax forms that are needed and very hefty paperwork. This is as easy as going on your brokerage account, buying in, and you're getting access to uh, some of the the most innovative and disruptive companies out there. And, and we're still growing our portfolio, but we're, again, just really trying to bridge that gap. No, that's right. I think it's it's really interesting that you guys have gone down that route. Have you had much kind of pushback? Has it been... You know, quite a bit of you know locally and Canadian VC and P firms kind of been like, you shouldn't be doing this. Have you had much of that, or is it kind of not either not hit that stage, or you've not seen it? You know, there, there's always skeptics out there. Whenever you're trying something different, you're you're gonna get uh, folks that that raise an eyebrow. And uh, but but the bottom line is, we are this structure actually makes more sense than a lot of the other ones because this is a permanent capital structure. You know, right? A lot of other funds have an end of life. Or um, you know very specific guidelines. This is something where we can continually invest and be patient with our investors, and and a lot of our the investors in stack so be patient with our portfolio companies and our investors. You know they range from lar- very large Canadian pension funds to to, uh, to to retail investors, but we do have a lot of institutional. Uh, investors in in stack capital, so they understand the model. They understand these take time, and given we're a public company, you know we've and raised over a hundred million dollars. You know that that puts us ahead and and in people's minds, and in, in that we're a real player out there. Interesting, and and so I suppose if you think about the kind of fund structure and how you know late stage venture works and the rounds and things like that. Do you have any, um, maybe not restrictions, but is there any areas that become a little bit more complex with not having that that big raise and then being able to invest? And you've got obviously investors investing in a in a um, you know basically a stock type model. Um, is there is there much that changes from that perspective? 
so you know it's all what's uh what we've set as our you know constraints when when building this it's you know, we, we, it's a pretty flexible mandate. You know, we're, we're sector agnostic. Generally, we're investing in later stage companies. There are things that we avoid and things that we're just not allowed to do. And so, you know, one of the things we avoid are, are biotech companies, you know, the ones that are binary and, and expecting, you know, either they're going to get approval or not. You know, yeah. th- that's not the type of investing that we do, although there's a lot of interesting companies in that space. We also don't invest in uh, cryptocurrencies or tokens. And so, you know, there's, again, great opportunities, very interesting companies there, but just not in our mandate as a public company to hold a lot of those types of tokens or or Bitcoin, although we can invest in cryptocurrency-focused companies. We do have our restrictions, but generally we keep that wide mandate to focus on, you know, any great opportunity that we see out there. That's interesting. And then obviously you mentioned about crypto, obviously with your background. And I know, you know, prior to our, uh, us going on record here, uh, you'd mentioned about uh, your interest in that space, which I know there's been a big dip in it uh, as a yep. recording, which we're recording this on the 17th of November. So hopefully it will have recovered uh, when this uh, <laughs> this goes live. But uh, I know Bitcoin has uh, taken a bit of a hit and taken a lot of the altcoins and everything else with it. But uh, yep. um, we'll, we'll no doubt see a, a recovery. Got to get used to the volatility with uh if you're looking at crypto that's for sure well you shouldn't be in it if you're uh if you if you don't like volatility so that's right uh, there's certainly uh, plenty of that but what goes what goes up must come down and obviously uh what go down you would hope will go back up um especially with uh with the crypto uh, crypto world so something we've not had is is anybody on the actual fund sized uh fund side sorry of uh of either a vc or private equity growth equity uh business so what are the you know give us a bit of an insight into how that kind of role plays out but also kind of some of the challenges that that may be on the fund size that you you've you experienced because i know obviously you've worked on public companies you've worked in privately owned businesses so you've got kind of quite a broad exposure of uh, of being in the finance world but what's it like as a cfo in a fund but also what are the challenges you face as a cfo in a in a fund structure yeah, so we're a bit different in that we're a public company, which makes being a CFO a bit, uh, you know, there's more stringent requirements that that are needed from us, right? You know, we're publicly filing our quarterly statements, you know, in terms of the regulatory bar, we're on the senior exchange here in Canada, the, I believe it's the fifth biggest exchange in the world. And so being the CFO of a public company just has certain requirements that, uh that I'm used to, but you know, you know, it could be a bit different. But other than that, you know, of course, I get help with that. The great thing that that I love is that I also get to be on the investment side as well. And so I'm, you know, working with the investment team and sourcing and and doing analysis over potential portfolio companies. And and that's really the fun part of my job, right? Like the CFO stuff is the kind of ongoing and and you know do my capital budgets and work with the board and and do everything there but but what really gets me excited every morning is you know what company am I going to look at that day where am I doing a deep dive and so but but of course I'm just bringing a different perspective as someone who's been a CFO and had that where uh, uh, which is very different than the rest of the investment team so so I'm very happy I get to bring that perspective there. Yeah, perfect. And I see, obviously, I mentioned you've, you've had a background in public companies, private businesses, crypto um, organizations. What was it that convinced you to move into the VC private equity world? 
you know, I just, I find it so exciting. So I, I really love innovation and I love disruptive industries and, and, and the leading edge uh, technology that's out there. And there's no better place to look for things like that in the pri- than in the private market, right? That's really where you're finding from the seed early stage all the way to, you know, the, the still growing, but um, billion dollar plus companies that I personally find incredibly, incredibly exciting. And so the chance to focus and dedicate to that space was something that, you know, I, I didn't have to think twice about. And then, and then, you know, also just generally, we're seeing a trend where there are private companies are staying private longer and there's private companies are becoming, you know, very large, very quickly. And so there's new unicorns that are coming out all the time in, in North America and the rest of the world. And so it's always fun to be part of a growing sector of the economy. And so that's uh, probably those are the two biggest things that that really alerted me to this uh, this space. And what are the what are some of the you know with setting up your own firm? What are some of the challenges that you guys have, have faced as a as a leadership team? You know that maybe someone else is going to go through this process, and I'm sure there's people listening that have either considered it or maybe even considering. What would you say for them to maybe watch out on and be like, look, be mindful of this. This takes longer than you think. This will probably come up, and you won't realize. Yeah. So, I mean, patience is a key thing here. Like, you know, you have uh, the private market, there's uh, there's no rush uh, the, the same way that you would see in other industries. You know, these, if, you know, it needs to take another month, it'll take another month. And uh, there's lots of things that can, can cause that. And just on the other side, you got to be on your toes and you got to be ready to move quick because in the same way, these deals can come together uh, at, at a lightning pace. And so, so you need to be, you need to have both those virtues. And, and also it's one of these things where there's, at least this year, it is an incredible amount of opportunity. So getting focused and, and, you know, for us, we only have so many bullets that we can shoot in terms of investments. And so really picking the right ones that fit our profile, you know, it takes a lot of work. So, so yeah, th- those are all the key pieces I would say. Okay, great. And moving on to the talent side of things, what three attributes do you believe that make a top performer? Yeah, in, in terms of a top performer, I think in this space, being open-minded is very important. You see so many industries, lots of times you're seeing uh, things that are very new and uh, it's hard to completely picture how it fits into society or the economy. And so you have to really be open-minded to uh, to, to new things, right? You know, th- These are... These are new concepts in many, many cases. Uh, and then I also say discipline would probably be a big one where you you need to know what you are after, what kind of companies you want and, and sticking to it. It's very easy to veer off and be distracted because there's so many amazing things to look at. And in ter- and just generally, you know, it's, you know, I would say that the team and cohesiveness, you know, fit is very key in terms of, being a top performer, like the, the only way you can perform well is being in the right environment and with the right people. And so, uh, so that was a big thing here. You know, I think we got an incredible team and board and advisory that, that work very well together. So uh, yeah, th- those are probably the first three that come to mind. Absolutely. Completely agree with those. And uh, I like this question. What, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self, Jimmy? That's good. That's a, yeah, it's a good question. I would say, 
if I were to talk to myself in yeah, my 20 year old self, I would say take more risks. You know, that's one thing that is very easy to not, and you have to remember my mentality, you know, like I studied engineering, I'm, a, I'm an accountant by, by, uh, by training. You know, when you're young, you have the, all the opportunity to take all the risks. And the biggest thing that you get to, to the biggest resource you have when you're young is time. And so spend your time on the edge of things, taking more risks. Uh, you know, the biggest thing would be where, where to work. And so... The biggest thing, and even even at many ages, you know, risk is is fun, and you know that's it's it's good to have the upside. I completely agree with that. I think that would be definitely my advice for uh, for myself uh, as well. And what do you love about the venture capital private equity industry, and equally, what do you dislike about it? So, especially from our perspective, given we're we're sector agnostic, I love doing these deep dives, right? Like finding an industry and a company, and really trying to understand it to the deepest level possible. Uh, that's that's something I absolutely um, uh, don't take for granted. In terms of what I dislike, you know, it's in, in the private market. So I, I come from public space as well. In the public space you get, it's very institutionalized, right? You have, you know, the exact information that you have the right to see, you know, exactly where to find it. And you know, usually you have you have access in in bigger ways. These these are companies that have you know bigger teams, right? In the private market, it's not always the case. You know, the 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 information you're getting in some cases are are just not good enough to invest. You know, it's it's not the way you may like to see it. It's everything is unique, and you have to really um, see every situation as 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 a different case. There's there's a maturity process that goes on, right? So you're just seeing this. These companies earlier on in their life cycle, and so you have to be ready to take in a different set of information in a different way. That all makes uh, all makes sense. All very good. So, what are what are your influences? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you listen? Other than I'm guessing uh, crypto uh, updates uh, daily. <laughs> I would say the biggest way that I I kind of take in information and, and learn new things. You know, I used to be a big reader. I used to read a lot. For some reason now, I've just been very into podcasts, just just like this. And I just find you can, you know, learn so much. You know, I find no matter what company I want to look at or what industry, I can find likely more content than I even have time to consume, uh, including you know the, the CEO talking about industries or you know leading experts or economists, whatever it may be in whatever industry. There is information out there. And this is a perfect example. Someone wants to learn about stack, you know, what what better way than to just hear it right from the source, from the people who are living it day by day. Uh, and I think it's just a great, um, great way to 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 consume content. But but yeah, in terms of, you know, like I, I'm very fortunate. I get to talk to founders every day and I just find I learn so much on the job here. And so if there's someone I need to talk to, I can there's an equity analyst, uh, it's an expert on an industry or phone up a you know, founder that I can help. And uh, you know, I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah, I think it's great. We can listen, talk, well, not probably not talk to, but we can listen and we can engage yeah. with you know, business leaders from all over the world and understand what someone's doing as a competitor, as a completely different factor, as a really successful, you know, I was listening to uh, Mark Zuckerberg do an interview with um, Gary Vaynerchuk um, earlier today. And you just like, when would you get kind of access like 
like yeah. that to to business leaders previously. You just you know you wouldn't most people hadn't heard of who ran obviously what was Facebook and now Meta, but um, you know we wouldn't know about what these people do in these various different uh, uh, businesses, not, let alone get an insight into what their strategy is and what they're uh, they're planning on doing. So I think it's amazing the access to information that we have. Although I agree, it can be overwhelming, uh, certainly <laughs> from there. Yeah, it's so, incredible. Jimmy, if anybody wants to get in, in touch with you and, and reach out, um, how best do they, uh, do, they, uh, do they get in touch, please? You know what? I'll, I'll throw out my email for anyone who wants to email me directly with any, any questions. So it's uh, very simply Jimmy, so J-I-M-M-Y, at stackcapitalgroup.com. Uh, otherwise, find me on, on, on LinkedIn just by my name or Twitter. I'm at, uh, at J-I-M-V-A-I-O. So I'm generally pretty, pretty open to... Uh, folks that reach out and 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 want to chat perfect we'll put that all in the uh, in the show notes so thank you very much for for joining us today and i really appreciate your insight leaves us lots to think about uh, interesting to to hear about a firm as well giving access to you know general retail investors uh, it's not something i've come across uh, previously so i think that's really uh, really interesting and uh and thank you very much for everything you've shared today of course thank you very, thank you very much for having me alex anytime And as always, thank you very much for everybody listening and who's joined us today uh, to listen into this podcast. Uh, Of course, if you ever need private equity or portfolio executive hiring, please do reach out to us at Royal Selection. But until the next time, keep smashing it. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com.